Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events, and emerged triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Well, hello there, and welcome to another Mission Unstoppable Radio. Thank you again for joining us today. Uh, let me ask you something. What happens when an atheist knocks on heaven's door? Well, I can tell you someone answers, and then they put her to work. <laughs> As a result of her near-death experiences, Nancy Rhines teaches others how to live a more purposeful, joyful, and heaven-inspired life. But she wasn't always this upbeat, positive soul that you're going to meet today. Nancy was a former Catholic who had downgraded to atheist by the time she had her near-death experience in 2014. She lived and worked in Colorado. She'd done graduate coursework in geology at the University of Colorado and was working in a software development and training for a remote sensing company in the geology field. Road cycling was her passion, and she often rode 30 to 40 miles several times a week. Wow. And if the latter part of 2013 could choose a color. For her, I think it would have been multiple shades of gray. The end of October saw a potential new relationship end. An anniversary of a sister's death saddened her. And almost to the day, Nancy also had a car accident of her own on November the 25th, leaving her feeling bruised and a bit out of sorts. Come December, Nancy began having strange dreams. She didn't know what or how or why, but she felt like her life was going to change drastically. She mentioned this to one of her sisters. Enter January 3rd, 2014, a new year, the sun's shining, the temperature's a balmy 60 degrees, the minor injuries from her car accident had healed, and she's about to lose that cabin fever she was feeling in December. The time had come to shake off the cobwebs and get back to doing what she loved to do, cycling. Please welcome Nancy Rhines. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Frankie. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on today. I appreciate it. You had a horrific experience. Um, why don't you, I brought us up to the point. Why don't you take right. us through, <laughs> take us to the roundabout. Sure. So I went off on my bike ride as Frankie led into that. And it was really just going to be a quick bike ride around town to run errands, which is no big deal. Uh, I did that quite a bit. And I went off, and within a half a mile of my home, I entered a uh, roundabout traffic circle that had just been put in in my town. And there was a bike lane kind of coming in and a bike lane on the other side, but the bike lane sort of disappeared in the middle of this roundabout. So I did exactly what you're supposed to do, which is, like, take the whole lane. Um, there was a guy in a car behind me, and I could see some traffic kind of coming in, like, from my, my right on another road that was coming in. And it looked like those folks were going to stop, and the, and that lead car looked like it, it it wasn't really going too fast. But then I got up to where that uh, that road came in, and I could see that the woman was who was driving it was actually starting to speed up rather than than stop. And I didn't have any room to maneuver since there was a car behind me, so. What, what ended up happening is she hit me. She didn't see me. She was too busy, it turns out, with her phone and didn't see that anybody was in the traffic circle already. So she hit me broadside on my bicycle, and I ended up kind of on the hood of her of her SUV, just kind of like, like I remember hold, trying to hold on to on, onto the hood of her vehicle. And um, as I was doing that, I was looking in at her, and she had her phone like perched on top of her steering wheel. She's trying to steer, text, and drive all at the same time. And there's this like bump. Somebody's looking at you through your window, <laughs> and you're still texting. And like, she oh, didn't notice. Yeah, she didn't see me. Does that happen? Um, 
So she kept driving, and I, it, you know, I'll try to make this a little bit short, but I, I no, couldn't. No, we got, we got an hour. Don't longer, worry, about you know. So I mean, I, wait, I, I'm going to stop you because in the book you, you say first, you know, you're hanging on to to you know to the windshield, then yeah. now you're hanging onto the bumper, now you're down at the license plate, trying not right. to get yourself under. <laughs> right? Okay. It, it was kind of like one of the. I always liken it to um, those old Roadrunner Wiley Coyote cartoons, you know, where Wiley Coyote is trying to hang on to the side of this cliff as he's going over and that's what this felt like it felt like a cartoon you know it was it was that weird that she kept driving I couldn't hang on I kept slipping and slipping finally you know I went over the front you know the the front part of her vehicle and hit the pavement and I could hear my shoulder my left shoulder hit my left hip hit and I did end up breaking this collarbone here and then my pelvis broke, just it cracked. It wasn't fully broken, but it did crack. But as I hit the pavement, something really weird happened. And, as, you know, as someone who'd been kind of stuck in the material only world for so long, meaning, you know, if it didn't, if I couldn't measure it with my tape measure, it didn't exist. Right. Um, I didn't know what was happening to me. All of a sudden I noticed that my my consciousness was outside of my body and in it at the same time, which was really weird. And I, you know, that, that moment that this happened, I thought, wow, I don't know what that's all about. (laughs) That's really weird. There was a part of me, a very, I call it my, my higher self, the very together, uh, calm, peaceful part of me was watching the whole accident unfold from about, I don't know, 50 to 75 feet off to the side, kind of in, you know, off out of the lanes of traffic, just watching everything happen. And then of course, I, you know, my human, my human consciousness was still in this body that at that point was being dragged underneath of her vehicle. So as she kept driving, you know, here I am, she drove over the top of me and I got hooked. It was like my clothing and my my uh, backpack got hooked on the underneath of her vehicle and got stuck. And then I also, realizing what could happen, I think, just inadvert- not inver- inadvertently, but involuntarily, you know, unconsciously reached up and grabbed a hold of, I think it was her axle, so that I wouldn't get run over by her back wheel, because she was in a turn, you know, going around the roundabout. So it wasn't like she was going to run right over, you know, I was going to be right through the middle of her tires. I knew I could see those back wheels coming at me and knew that they were going to run right over the top of me because she was in this turn. So I grabbed onto something just to make sure that I wasn't going to get run over. Um, And and she, I I had just assumed that she knew she hit someone and was going to stop, but she didn't. She kept driving, and and so you're watching this from above. I'm like <laughs> <laughs> terrified. When you know, are the, you going to know, lady? That you know, right? I me. mean, all I can think about underneath as the me that was under the vehicle was terror, absolute terror. You know, I was scared. I, yeah, I didn't. Of it was beyond rational thought at that point. Like just Wait, make surviving. it stop. Make it stop. Make it stop. Right. Yeah. That's basically what it was. It was over and over and over again. Like, oh my God, oh my God, you know, what's happening and just fear. But that part of me, the funny thing is that part of me that was outside, that was standing off to the side, it was like hands clasped, like, you know, kind of just in a peaceful, open-handed mode, like everything's going to be passionately looking at (laughs) (laughs) If everything is happening as it should, everything's going to be just fine. Um, and, and while it's painful in the end, it will be, it will be okay. And there was this really odd dichotomy. Like my, I remember the me underneath the vehicle was like, what? That's not right. This is, you know, this hurts. This is terrible. I'm scared. What, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, but there was that, that other me, that higher self that was just very in tune with what was supposed to be going on for me in that moment and that would, that it would be okay. And obviously it was okay because I'm here. Yeah. yeah. But that split consciousness, um, you know, happened at the scene and then other people ran to her and said, Hey, 
you who you know, you've, you've got somebody under your car right yes yeah. so, so the bystander stopped her and luckily they you know they actually stopped her relatively quickly i mean it wasn't like she drove for miles it felt like it but yeah. it was only you know 50 to 60 feet just long uh, enough just long enough she you know, yelled to, at you dancy she yelled at you she did she was mad at me <laughs> What nerve! She Wait. got out of the vehicle and was yelling at me. You know, how and old was like, she about? Like, was she millennial or what was she? She was at that point. So this was five about five yeah. years ago. She was twenty nine. Twenty nine. Okay. All right. Yeah. So young, relatively young, relatively um, young, but hard to believe that she'd yell at you for yeah. you. Yeah. She yeah, also do you have, had. Do you have like? Um, sorry, I just wanted to ask you. Do you guys have? Because I'm in Canada. Do you have laws against cell phone use in a car in Colorado? Um, they had just passed one, like within a few months before my accident. Okay. And I want to say it was it was less definitely less than a year, so it was a fairly new law. And the prosecuting attorneys in in uh, Colorado were yet unfamiliar how to prosecute these. Now that you know the the police officers actually did write tickets for it, but at that time prosecuting attorneys didn't know how to prosecute these cases. So yeah. it was still in that kind of gray area where um, things really didn't get prosecuted very well. Yeah. But there were, the, the laws were on the books. Um, but uh, so anyway, she, she finally stopped. The bystanders started to push the vehicle off me a little bit. And I tried, I was like struggling to get out from underneath of this car and I wanted to run away. The first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to yell back at her and then I wanted to run away. <laughs> um, but luckily there was a woman who was, looked like late twenties, early thirties who ran up a different woman. She was blonde, beautiful to me, looked beautiful. I don't know. I was like in this weird yeah. state, but she was, had a blonde ponytail and ran up and put her hands kind of like on my shoulder. She said, my name is Anne. You know, I'm a trauma nurse. You need to stay safe. I'll stay with you until the paramedics get here, but you need to stay calm and on the ground. And if she hadn't done that, I I don't know if I'd have survived because my my back and neck were so badly broken. Wow. Uh, that I, I likely would have been a paraplegic. Well, there's no doubt about it. I would have been a paraplegic had I tried to get up. Uh, my back was that badly broken, and potentially I would have been a quadriplegic because my neck was pretty bad too. Um, but luckily she was there and stepped in and saved, uh, saved me before the paramedics took me off to the emergency room. So you get to the emergency room and you're going to have surgery, which yeah. is the second of the Indies. Right. Yeah. Really. So that was the, the, in the ER, they decided that I needed to have surgery because I had so many broken bones in my back that there was really no way, uh, that this was going to heal up on its own in any timely manner. You know, yeah. I'd be in a bed for six months at least. So we went into surgery. Uh, this happened on a Friday. The accident happened on a Friday. Surgery was scheduled for the following Monday. Oh, and wow. uh, so I was, you know, in the hospital for those few days waiting. And, but then during sur I was brought into the OR um, kind of wanting to get it over with, but feeling a little bit nervous and, and a little fearful about it at the same time uh, because it was a big deal. You yeah, know, I'm kidding. They're going to touch your spine. Yeah, you know, it's a it's big invasive surgery. So I went in, in you know went in and they started to inject me with the uh general anesthetic which I'd had before. It wasn't hadn't been a problem before. Um but this time from what the nurses later told me, I ended up basically coding. Now they don't call codes in the OR, but I my heart rate stopped. Um my blood pressure went to zero and you know, Flat I stopped work. breathing. So, you know, effectively, yeah. my body was in the beginning phases of dying. But I didn't know that. So what happened to me is, I mean, I drifted off. I thought, you know, it was no big deal. I was going to go into surgery and blah, blah, blah. But then I woke up. And that's not normal for surgery. You know, you don't wake up. No, you don't wake up. And then, you know. Yeah, and because the whole point of it is to bring your consciousness to nothing. You're not supposed to be... Yeah. Conscious of anything at all, even dreaming. You're not supposed to dream at all. Yeah. And so I, I had this experience of waking up and I was fully lucid. It wasn't like there was anything hazy or hallucinatory about it. 
it was fully lucid, very rational. I'm standing up on a hillside looking out at this beautiful landscape and this is not normal because <laughs> first of all, I'm standing up. Yeah. And, and you know, you're under having surgery and I, right now. And I knew also, yeah, I knew that I was in surgery, which was really weird that I was in this state and I knew that my body was on the operating table. Um, and the other thing that was started to strike me as a little odd was that I felt connected to the world around me in a way that didn't exist here in, in earth. And I felt peace coming through me as if it were like a warm force, almost like standing in front of a fireplace on a cold winter's day. Like you feel that heat yeah. kind of radiant. This felt like peace radiating through me and love and acceptance radiating through me uh, in a way that it's almost impossible to describe. I mean, it was like I was being hugged or, or held almost like held like a, you would hold a baby, like held and with huge loving arms. And then I, st I was doing one of these. I start, I felt that and I noticed that and I'm like, this isn't normal. <laughs> I realized then that this has got to be something really weird happening. And the first thing that popped into my mind was, holy cow, I wonder if I died on the operating table. And then my next thought was, well, if I did, why am I here? Because I don't believe in any of this stuff. Yeah. And I don't believe in, you know, any kind of supreme pity or consciousness or afterlife. But the whole question was, why am I here? What is this? Kept that's, going that's an interesting around. question. Um, I, I, I interviewed, uh, I don't know if you know Dr. P.M.H. Atwater, who yep. did the big book of death and dying. And I interviewed yeah. Phyllis like three times. And, you know, the experiences that she says is that people usually have the experience of dying, what their belief system is, right? Yeah. You're yeah. going to meet Jesus, you're going to meet Jesus. And if you think you're not going anywhere, you don't go anywhere kind of thing. And so for you to have this experience and to go to this beautiful place, you know, you said it wasn't heaven. I like it was a green room for heaven. Yeah, <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> kind of like the waiting room, right? Yeah, yeah. you're in the green room. Yeah, getting, I'm gonna get an interview, but you know, I'm just waiting. Yeah, hanging yeah that was that was the best analogy for it. it really, wasn't the full on experience of heaven because yeah. what I found out later is that for me to go there to the full, I, what I call full blown heaven or full blown afterlife, you have to fully physically die. You have to completely cease the connection with the physical yeah and, and that wasn't going to happen for me even though i wanted it to um so you but met a being you met, I met a being yeah and and i met a being um and she looked like a she but it turns out that she, you know she was wearing that she called it like a costume or a cloak just to make me feel a little bit more comfortable um so that i could learn what i needed to learn in order to go back to my right. life and I heard the go back to my life part and kind of threw a little fit because I didn't want to go back. I mean, I, I, I like this so much mm -hmm. that I assumed that real heaven, you know, when my body fully died would be way better. Like, whoa, yeah. this is just a little piece of it. So the real thing must be amazing. You guess imagine then how, how difficult it is for us to reincarnate when it's so amazing there it, to make that choice. Yeah. It, there are things that we can do and learn here that are more challenging to do and learn in spirit. So we can, we, it's almost like um, an accelerated learning program here, if you can think about it yeah. that way, for, for some people. Some people are here to learn, and this is a quick way to learn some things. And so I can see where at some point you might want to say, yeah, I think I'm going to write, I'm ready to go back now. But when you're here, it's like, whoa, I, didn't, I kind of forgot about all that stuff. Like how yeah. tough it would be to do X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Um, but, but um, she, she's, you know, showed me this vid, kind of like a video almost in the air in front of me of me agreeing to go back of having this experience that I was having of the accident of oh, wow. this surgery of, all of this stuff I was experiencing, having this kind of like a reintroduction to my spiritual self in heaven and then coming back, that that was part of my my plan with whatever divine being that you want to call it, that right. divine consciousness. I had made that agreement and she showed me kind of a, a video of me making that agreement to come back here. 
and then once so when she showed that to me, I was like, okay, well, I guess I have some learning to do, and I, I'll, you know, learn what I need to learn. I, I was still kind of hedging my bets. I was hoping that that I would fully die and go on. I mean, that's really what my hope was. But I went along with it and learned so much from from this being that you know it, it would it would probably fill many books. Quite frankly, um, it was for me the most transformative, and it continues. I mean, even today, five years later continues to be transformative in my life you know just it, it's almost like uh the teachings that she gave me for example divine love and and love in in the universe just that one teaching alone i keep thinking about it over and over and i learn more about it the more i think about it and and feel into it and i i go into it in in my silent times you know i just allow that knowledge and that piece of divine love to be part of me the more i do that it's like i'm peeling back more layers of that onion and learning more about it It, it's it continues to unfold i I mean i can understand now the the metaphor or or the analogy of the lotus blossom in eastern religions you know it because a lotus blossom when it blooms it blooms a little bit at a time and it keeps unfolding and keeps unfolding and keeps unfolding. And that's what this has been like. I keep learning more about what I learned the more I dig into it. And it just evolves over time. Well, you got a lot of information, a lot of information yeah. in, a, in a short, very short period of time, really. Yeah. And yeah. like when you, when you decided to write the book, I'm sure that it was just downloaded. Like you just went shh, shh, straight to your fingers. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was already there. I remembered, I remembered pretty much everything. I mean, there were some details that I didn't quite remember when I woke up uh, in the recovery room, but for the most part, it was all there. It was really a matter of being able to write because I was in such a, such bad shape that I actually couldn't even lift. Now my arm was not broken, but my neck was. Right. And so I couldn't even lift my arm really to write anything. Um, And that's, as soon as I could do that, I started writing, like you said, and it was just like three months of just writing in notebooks, trying to get. Oh, all- you wrote in notebooks! Wow. Yeah. Um, did did, <laughs> and the people that knew pre Nancy were they like shocked to meet post Nancy? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, I I, I did. Uh, I think there were a few of my kind of more sciencey friends that backed off, mm-hmm. but for the most part, people luckily people stuck with me, which is good. I'm I'm not real preachy about what happened. And so it took me a while to talk to them about it. But what I've heard from people is uh, you're so much more peaceful now. Mm. And and one of my friends who I didn't, I didn't tell her at the time what happened. It took me several months. She came and visited me in the, in the hospital several times while I was there um, and she was very spiritual. I was not. Somehow we managed to stay friends. I don't know how we did that. But she came into the to the hospital room and said, what happened? You're glowing. And so I, I didn't tell her for a while. But she kept saying, well, you know, something's different. You're glowing. You shouldn't be glowing. You're, you know, you're just, you're, you're broken into pieces like Humpty Dumpty. But you're glowing. And I heard that from a lot of other people. And I heard also that you're just so peaceful and calm. And they were happily surprised, but very surprised. And some members of my family were very surprised that I was never angry with the person who hit me, you know, after, not not before the NDE, but after the NDE, like my niece said, how can you not be mad at her? I said, well, I'm not. I get that. I, get that. <laughs> I was reading your book, you know, and our, our, we have such similar experiences. It was like blowing my mind. Okay. I was hit on my motorcycle. Oh, wow. People yeah. on my motorcycle broke both, you know, femurs, hip, pelvis, everything laying Oof. on the side of the road, six months in the hospital. And then I get to the point in your book, you go, and I'm laying on an air mattress. I was on the air mattress and the electricity went out and poof, I went down poof you went down and nobody knew how to put it back up and you're yeah. laying there with a broken hip and they're on metal now right where before it was like oh. <laughs> and i'm like oh my god nancy i get it i get it you know yeah. going through this yeah. i was never upset 
I knew why it happened. I, I just felt like spirit, you know, I had a job I have to do now. And, and just this whole, you know, uh, spiritual um, events happening one after another and, and reading all the books that you started to read and doing all the same things. I'm just like, Oh, wow. How crazy is that? You know, yeah. and, 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 and painting and everything like it was crazy crazy so it's, it's very interesting to hear your story and I, I have to ask you what why why you think because it happens to so many people I've interviewed uh the wake-up call is traumatic so traumatic it happens in a trauma there's usually an accident there's something life-altering chaos I know change happens best in chaos but some really life-altering event that happens and then the switch yeah, you know, I'd had two opportunities before to make this switch, and they were very gentle opportunities, relatively gentle opportunities, and I didn't. And so for me, I, I could, in hindsight, I could see that, you know, here was event one, I let it slide by me, and I stayed an atheist. Here's event two, I let that slide by, you know, with my eyes closed, I didn't want to see what was happening. And so my agreement was with my spiritual team that if, if if those two things slid by me, then event three would happen. And event three is the big wake-up call. But it takes sometimes for some of us like me who is very stuck in my rut and very stuck in my daily well, life. You're so busy, my, heads down. You know? Yeah, you're just you're focused in on living day to day that it takes sometimes a big hit. For me, literally, it was a hit to kind yeah. of shock me out of that like whoa you know things don't need to be that way anymore you know that's not the way life is yeah sometimes and I I don't think this is this way for everybody I've met a lot of people who have made really big transitions gradually over time and that's the way I recommend it <laughs> yeah, we do, we do. this stuff is is it can be very traumatic well, I remember before it going what do you want? What do you want? You want something. I don't know what you want. Be more clear. I don't get it. I'm just going to go on and do what I'm doing. And it's like, yeah. what do you want? What do you want from me? Like, tell me, I don't get it. Yeah. Tell me, be clear. Nothing, well, it, you know? it's a, it, it, for me, it was a disconnect between my spiritual self and myself here in this physical plane, meaning I wasn't knowing and being true enough to my own self inside. I was mm -hmm. so disconnected from who I really was, that it didn't matter what guidance was coming into me. Like, hello, wake up. I didn't hear any of that because wow. I was so disconnected from myself. And I think a lot of people get that way. You know, it's easy just to ignore, like you said, we're heads down in our lives, but we don't even sometimes step back to question, is this the life that I really feel drawn to live? Yeah. Is this the real me? I think that's why so many people are, keep searching for their purpose and going to other people going, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? Can you tell yeah, me what it yeah, is? Yeah, exactly. Right. And, I, and you and I can't tell someone else what their purpose is. And, you know, but that's, uh, that's again, going in and, and taking the time and, and giving yourself the opportunity to say, you know what, this life that I've been living isn't really the one that fits me very well. Or yeah. I need to make a little adjustment here or there. It doesn't need to be, you know, hugely altering, but... But it, from, from what I can see for myself and a lot of people, we're disconnected. We're told by society what it is that we should be or yes. should want or should do. Yeah. And we, we allow that to become the way that we live our lives and, and ignore what's coming from here. You yeah. Know? That's and our that's socialized self, right? I mean, and that started right. when we were young. Our parents told us what to do. School told us what to do. Right. Society tells you what to do and who to be and how to act. And so often yeah. that voice inside us gets lost because we're it like, does. they're not going to be happy if I do that. Other people won't be happy with me if I don't, if I do that. So you just do what everybody wants you to do and, and you toe the line instead of being yourself. Yeah. And over time you really get disconnected from yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And the longer that goes on, the harder it is to get back to who you really are. Yeah. So, so you were, you, you have this mission now. They gave you like 12 rules kind of, or 12 things to know. Tips, yeah. <laughs> things to know. And, and they're like, okay, go out and teach the world or teach yourself and then teach the world, spread the word. It was really, yeah, teach myself. And that was the first big step was you need to learn this for yourself. Mm -hmm. you, you need to make your life the one that you want it to be. And here are the, here are some of the things to think about and do. 
And so that was a big challenge for me to start integrating that into my life. Like, how am I, what am I going to learn from this? What does this mean for me? But then it was a natural evolution. It wasn't like you must, they didn't say you must go teach. It was more naturally evolving. So as I felt like I was learning from it, the way that I best learn from things like this is I write about it. That's just how I am. I journal all the time. I write stuff down. That's how my brain processes things. That's how my brain kind of brings things into my my body. And so I started writing about it, like I told you. And then I started, uh, people asked me about it on Facebook, interestingly enough. I, I, I made mention that I had a really interesting experience in surgery. And so some of my Facebook friends wanted to hear more about it. So I said, okay, that's fine. Um, I started to write a little blog for them. So th- so I wouldn't have to keep writing it over and over again. I just wanted to point people to one sure. place. Yeah. So I just put a little blog together and started writing about it really briefly in this blog. And the more people, it was, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was viral, but it just spread organically from person to person. And the more people read my brief synopsis of what happened, they said, well, I want to, I want to know more. I want to know more. And then I realized that, the medium of this blog wasn't really conducive to doing what I wanted to do, which is explain the whole thing front to, you know, beginning to end and, and all of the little permutations that I learned. So that's when the book came, the book idea really took hold was, and I had been, I would say adamantly against writing a book. I I really didn't want to do it. (laughs) I was like, you know, kicking and screaming again, I just didn't want to write a book about it because I felt a, it was a lot of personal stuff. Yeah. And why would anybody else want to hear it anyway? I mean, that's what I was thinking. Like who's going to care about this, but you didn't go back to work. I tried. I actually did try. And, and but it wasn't going to happen for you. Yeah. I never went back to my old job. It couldn't, it just, I mean, physically, the just the fit easy you yeah. know the physical trauma and something like that takes more than a couple of weeks to get over uh and so for me the physical stuff took probably 18 months to fully maybe two years to fully resolve mm-hmm. so you know just even thinking about working during that amount of time wasn't going to happen yeah uh, so I had all this free time and I was painting a little bit but but that's when the book really started to take hold is when I could no longer work and I made peace with the fact that I could no longer work and had to let go of that old job uh, and then started back in, in in writing about it in depth. And the more I wrote about it, the more it evolved and, and it came out. Um, it was almost like, how did that happen? <laughs> Why know, are we so thirsty time? for information about what happens when we die? I mean, it's a big mystery. It's a great mystery. But, yeah. you know, people are like dying to know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, when I grew up, uh, my, I grew up as a Catholic in a, in the Roman Catholic faith and they didn't really teach us about this stuff. You know, they, it was very clear cut. There was heaven and there was hell. And if you were a bad person, you were going to go to hell and pretty much everybody was a bad person. So pretty much everybody was going to go to hell. Uh, and, and so I grew up thinking, well, you know, there's no way that I'm going to have, a good outcome to this whole death thing. <laughs> so I may as well not be go to hell. <laughs> um, it, but but that's when I, I started moving away from it. But I think a lot of people, um, it's funny because a lot of people who are most afraid of death are the ones that claim to be the most religious. Yeah. That I've met personally. And I've met so many devout whatevers it doesn't matter what you know what religion but i've met so many devout people who are terrified to die because they're not taught what comes after mostly because people don't know and it it, it isn't it isn't that we don't know it's that we don't give a lot of credence to people like me sometimes and and mm-hmm. people like me have been around for a long time I mean, i've always I'm believed in reincarnation new. always believed in it so I, yeah. I always, you know i'm coming back my husband said, i'm never coming back so i've been here so many times i'm coming back Done. I enjoy <laughs> it. but you know what like i i if you believe in it and i do then you know that it's not the end and energy doesn't die and so like all of right. these things can be said but yeah 
I don't know if, if, you know, you go where you think you're going to go or if you go like you did to where they tell you you're going to go, but you're going to go someplace. And <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, from what I've seen, it's a mix of stuff and it depends on you. It depends on what you need. Uh, and, and it's like an evaluation at the end, right? Isn't right. Yeah, there is. There's a time evaluation. to decompress. There's a time to kind of integrate heal. what, yeah, heal, learn, let go. There's a big letting go period. We have to let go of this life yeah. in order to fully move on to what comes next. We have to let go to our stranglehold on it. And, and that's that initial stages like I was in. I was in those initial stages where if I was supposed to die for real, that would be my letting go. That would be my, what did you learn from your life type of stage? You know, I, you but know, you were I did, ready to go. You didn't think, Oh, my daughter and, and my friend, my family, like you were ready to let it go. Because it was so beautiful. Mm. It was really so beautiful. Yeah. Um, and, and the, have you ever experienced anything like that here since? <sighs> Not fully, no. I mean, I've certainly been in meditative type states or prayer type states where I've touched on it, uh, but not fully, no. I had a bizarre, a really bizarre experience at a restaurant. And I, I've, been, I've been taking an intensive uh, spiritual mastery course for the last 10 months. And I was sitting in this restaurant and my husband had gone to the washroom and I, and I just looked around and all of a sudden I just saw everybody in there as souls. Not people, it was their souls and how beautiful their souls were. And it didn't matter what they looked like anymore. They were just these spiritual beings. And I would have had so much love for each and every one of them. It didn't last that long. And then, you know, I came back. But it was like, wow. Yeah. That's what it feels like. That's powerful. It is. Yeah. yeah it's, it's too bad that we can't, at least for me, I don't have that at will. You know, I have, I have an incredible love for everyone and an incredible love for this physical place, whatever, whatever this is. I mean, we call it earth, but just the entire realm of Mm -hmm. physical existence, whatever that is. I have an incredible love for it. When I first came back, I was able to see like energetic connections now it's a little bit harder for me to see those things, but I certainly don't go around seeing, I mean, I know people are souls. Yes. I know it here and here, but I don't necessarily see it. That's just not my gift. At least it doesn't seem to be. So but, this idea of, of going, let's say, from third dimension head to fifth dimension heart, um, and people are trying to work towards this heart-centered um, reality for themselves, yeah, yeah. which is this, you know, looking at things through your heart, waking up the heart intentional um is is that a lesson that you learned is that something that they want people to know to do it it is but it all of the stuff that i learned fed into that so that's kind of like the overarching lesson that wasn't explicitly taught but all of the stuff that i learned that feeds into that and things like you know the practice of a daily practice of gratitude. And at first it sounds weird to say that it sounds weird. It sounded weird to me that they kept insisting start a spiritual practice. And I didn't understand why I just trusted that what they were saying was, has some value obviously. Um, But they, they, they taught me things like the importance of gratitude, like gratitude, not just saying thank you and going off with your day, but actually feeling. Yeah gratitude in here it it begins to again like you just said put you in that place of being heart-centered it's a very easy way to get present in the now to focus on what's going well in your life and and to start feeling into that heart-centered space that we all have Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and so they they kept insisting to me start a practice it doesn't have to be complicated but just start a regular practice and you'll see what we're talking about. And so for me, all of the stuff that they taught, you know, the gratitude, learning how to um, be in a place of love in every moment, um, learning how to, how to connect with other people and to form a community around you, uh, learning that the power that you have in every moment, the power of choice is an incredible spiritual power, not just a physical power, but a spiritual power. So all of those things incrementally feed into a heart-centered life and a heart-centered uh, spiritual life as well. 
and it and it and it allows us to what I call bringing that sense of heaven or spiritualness to our lives on earth. Did you know and Ken to, Elliott before your accident? No, I didn't. I did not. Uh, in fact, we we were put in touch on Facebook through some other uh, a person that we both knew together. When I started, like when I told you, I was just quite, starting to just li- drop little bits of information about what I experienced. This um, this man put us in touch with each other and said, "You really need." And Scott said, "You really need to talk to Ken." Because uh, at that point, I was really struggling with what this was all about. I had no idea. And so Ken, uh, he's an artist in Colorado, for those of you who don't know. And an author. Uh, and an author, wonderful author, and just a good guy. And, and Yeah, uh, he was on my show a couple years back. You guys can check it out, Ken Elliott. Manifesting yeah, one, two, three, and you don't need the three. <laughs> and he, he just helped me, yeah. I think, get on a good path of finding the people that I needed to find in order to help me. Nice. Uh, kind of make, take the next step spiritually. Um, he put me in touch with an organization called IANS, which is the International Association for Near-Death Studies. Oh. And they really helped me understand I wasn't a crazy person when I came back. Are you more, are was, you more psychic now? Intuitive? Um, I think I'm, I allow it more. And I, I say that because I think I was before. I just didn't allow it to happen. Yeah. And now I just allow it to happen because I know it's a natural part of our spiritual lives. You know, everybody has a different gift. But before, I thought that stuff's crazy. I I don't want to deal with it. Um, and so then, you know, when you when you have a gift like that and you ignore it, it gets quieter. It doesn't go away, but it gets quieter. Yeah. But then when you pay attention to it again, it, it kind it of expands, re- reasserts itself, and that's basically what's been happening. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Your artwork is beautiful. Really beautiful. Oh, thank you. Turn the thank camera. You. Show us the horse. Oh, it's okay. You don't get sick when I turn it, but let me see if I can get this. Oh, yeah. Can you see it? I can see it. It's just beautiful. Yeah. So did you study art or was this natural talent or when did, when did you start doing art? Um, I started doing art when I was probably five years oh, old. Oh, okay. Uh, we grew up on a farm, and I used to draw and sketch. I had my little sketchbook with me. My dog would go out with me into the farm, and we'd just go out and do stuff. But I did go to art school in Chicago. And then, again, society told me that there's no way you're going to make a living at it. And so I went after art school, then I went into study the sciences after art school. And that's where I got the whole science thing going you really are left and right brain (laughs) I I was yeah and so I had that I I, I, again it was like the psychic stuff I had the art gift yeah but I mostly ignored it I mean I puttered around with it but I wasn't really serious about it oh my gosh until I had you know until I had this experience and now I can't shut it off (laughs) that's awesome it's coming all the time which I love I didn't start painting until after my accident actually wow yeah but I love it. That happens. Know? You know, that kind of thing happens. For me, it was more like um, just the floodgates open on what was already there. But I've heard that from other people that maybe they're musical now after an accident or they're, uh, they paint or they write books or whatever. But, yeah, sometimes these accidents really shake loose our creative yeah, I think I always was creative, but I was a drummer before my accident. I couldn't wow. sit anymore. And I, I couldn't sit on the throne. I, you know, I was just everything was broken down there. So, oh yeah. I, I, and I guess painting is a way to is a meditative state and kind of helped with the pain. You know, because yeah. really bad chronic pain. So it, it is. It helps. is. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was. It, um, I do it now as it is kind of a meditation. I'm in a total zone whenever I paint. And I know that if I'm not in the zone, then I might as well put my paintbrush down and walk away because it's going to be, you know, not a great day at the easel. But for mo- for the most part, that time at the easel is a meditative state for me. And so yeah. that's what it's, it's kind of, a, I mean, it's sort of an addiction in a way in that in order for me to feel complete, I need that time at the easel to just be in that mm-hmm. creative zone where it's like, I feel it coming in and just coming out through my hands and nice. expressing itself. Yeah. I've never painted with oil. Um, I, I, I guess there's new oils now, but I don't, 
I don't, I don't react well to smells, strong smells. And, but I love the look of it. Love the yeah. look of it. I paint, yeah, with acrylics. But I understand there's new water oils or something, which is kind of yeah. weird. You might uh, as well stick with acrylics because the water-based <laughs> oils are really, really, they're they're still really weird. Yeah. yeah. They're really sticky. Oh, okay. Goopy. okay. Yeah, I don't like them. You don't like them? I love I the luminosity that you get with oil, though. It's really beautiful. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so cool. Um, so let, let's go through just a few more of because we got a few minutes of um, love everybody. Um, what else in the gratitude? You know, be grateful and and like truly grateful from your heart. What else do we? And there's so many of you people from Colorado getting inspired with all this is crazy. <laughs> uh, I don't know what it is about Colorado. I guess you need a lot. You have shooters and then you have these like angels. <laughs> <laughs> It's the high altitude and a lot of sun. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. So what what other um, tokens of, 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 I don't know what we want to call them. Uh, what do you call it? Not rules. They're not rules, but they're. Yeah, they're guidances. Guidances. You know, yeah, they're, they're uh, yes, I don't really, I don't know what to call them. Insights. Um, messages for a better life. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, one of them that's really interesting that they left me with is to have fun. Oh, okay. You know, to enjoy your life, to, to enjoy your life as much as you can, because you're, no matter how many times you, you might reincarnate, you're never going to be this you ever again. Because yeah, I can right see now that. Right unique, unique combination, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and the message was, yeah, you can spend time being spiritual or learning about spirituality, but take time to have fun too. Enjoy as much as you can. Um, be with your family or friends and be with them, not on the phone while you're sitting yeah. at the beach or something. But really take time to be with those people you care about and do stuff you enjoy, you know. And one of one of my guides said to me, um, I don't remember exactly the words that he used, but it was like to the, he said, if you enjoy something, do it more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I you know, love that. I it. love that because, you know, oftentimes people who are really religious get into this austerity mode where it, you know, you're not supposed to have any fun. Fun is bad. And, right. you know, it's just work, 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 and then sleep and work, work, work. And, and why do they think we're here? I always said, do people really think they're here to go to work from nine to five? <laughs> like, I mean, is that our purpose to come here and just work like, you know, a beast and then go to bed? I mean, it sounds so ridiculous to me that, that, that that's life. I met people, you know, who've never been anywhere more than five miles from their home in their whole entire life. And I think, oh my gosh, like, go. There's a world out there. There's a world out there. Go and explore yeah, and it. Enjoy it and, and, and enjoy how, in whatever way you can. Like I like to paint. And so for me, being at the easel is not work. I yeah. love it. I love being outside. I like taking my daughter to events that she loves to be, even though I might not like to go to the same yeah. concert she does, I'll still take her because I enjoy being with her. I love being with her. Yeah. You know, to, to take the, the time to sit outside for lunch, you know, and here I'm in Seattle right now and it's raining like crazy, but Rain whenever there's um, a beautiful afternoon, I'll just like, I'll go outside and I'll sit for even five minutes and just look at the sun coming through the trees and enjoying it. Yeah. It, it doesn't have to be like, Okay, well, I my this is my day to be fun and happy. It, even just a few minutes, get outside and enjoy it, um, and and just learn, you know, in that way, you know, you learn to love your life. If you're in that austerity mode, I think it can be really easy to hate your life. You know, I think the more that you can focus in on enjoying what you've got right now, um, you know, yeah, you might not have the big fancy house that you think you want or society tells you you should want but guess what if you've got a roof over your heads it's a pretty good day right and so enjoy it and you enjoy know, my, what my husband can. my husband's family were um and his adopt i guess not, not adopted but his mother had remarried a number of times and so they were mormon and, and one of the, the last family was very strict and the the dad never had never gone to a movie in his life had never didn't listen to music <sighs> Like just everything was just so austere. And I, and he goes like, 
all that life they missed out on that they thought God wanted them to not listen to or, or know or like how crazy, how crazy. Like I, my, my whole philosophy is if, if it's, if God gave it to us to think about, then it's for us to do. Right. Right. like doctors, they like, don't go to doctors. Well, you know what? You wouldn't be smart enough to figure stuff out if God didn't want you to. So, you know what? He, he gave you that knowledge so that you could be healed or, you know, all of these things. So, yeah, I mean, to think, I, I grew up in the in, in Jewish background and I, I gave it up when I was 12. But the Kabbalah says you're supposed to enjoy life. You're supposed to enjoy yeah. sex. You're supposed to enjoy life. You're supposed to, you know, have a drink. You're supposed to just have a good time. And otherwise, it was the point of being here. You could just be Yeah, stay. this isn't a prison planet. Yeah, it's not a prison planet. <laughs> <laughs> I wear my stripes today, but it's not a prison planet. <laughs> no, it's not a prison planet. You know, it's, it's, but it is what you make it. Now, I have to keep in mind that there are people right now, uh, and this is, goes back to the gratitude thing. There are people in this world right now that don't have the options that you and I have. And so, so I feel a responsibility to try to help them out as much I as I can and, and to bring up the whole level of this society so that they can also experience that as well. So, you know, those with the, the greatest amount of um, what I, what I call those, well, let's see, the, those with the greatest amount of, of um, things in their lives, gifts have the greatest amount of responsibility to share them and to also kind of lift other people up. And, and if but, you don't even want to give it away monetarily, like just, be Time. positive. Put that positivity yeah. out in the world. And like those those poor, poor people who are, you know, storming the gates uh you know in Yasidra right now, they they need a home. They need not to be afraid every day of their lives. You yeah. know, open up your hearts, open up your hearts to them and just imagine yourself being one of those people who if you went home you were gonna be shot and killed and your children would be shot and killed. Why would you why would you be so afraid of them? Yeah. Why would you be yeah. so afraid? Yeah. Yeah. Go into those spaces and help, you know, you're right. Even those, even helping out via a prayer or gifting your energy to the world, your loving energy to the world really does help. Yeah. It does. Even if you, I mean, I, I can sometimes afford to, to gift monetarily more than some other people can. So I do that, but I also gift with my intent and my spirit as much as I can. Yeah. I, you know, I, I was something I decided with my artwork that I could gift in, you know, so I, I give money to, to, um, mercy ships and pay for surgery for mm-hmm. compound surgery. If I sell art, um, and that's one of the things I like to do with it because I can, yeah, because you know? I can, and other people can find other ways that they can, uh, volunteer or gift money or however they want to do it. Right. But absolutely. You're absolutely right. It's, um, it's a good thing to do. So be, be grateful, love one another put out positive energy, be optimistic, have fun with life. And uh, those are some great words. Those are some great advice from heaven. So, hey, yeah. from the green room. <laughs> <laughs> Not even from heaven, from the, just from the green room. When do you get to the big show? <laughs> That's right. I'll, I'm sure I'll learn more, but I won't be able to tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Nancy, thank you so much for being on thank the show you. today. Such great wisdom. Thank and you. your book, um, your, your, your book again is, I can see it in the background. Awakenings, oh, from, Awakenings from the Light. That's what the cover looks like. Awakenings from the Light. And you can go on to Amazon and all the bookstores and you can grab it there in, in hardcover and uh, ebook. And your your website is the same, correct? NancyRyans.com. N-A-N-C-Y-R-Y-N-E-S.com. There you go. Well, all the best for your future. And I'm sure it'll be bright as it is now. And uh, thank you again for being thank on Thank you. Everybody, we're going to leave Facebook. We'll see you on the other side.